you have your Bibles, let's turn over to the 33rd chapter of Exodus. And I believe that the Lord put some things on my heart to share with you during this meeting that is really going to bless you. And here in the 33rd chapter of the book of Exodus uh, is recounting the experience where Moses, he had... Uh, just been up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This is where he got the Ten Commandments. He came down and found that the people had gone back to idolatry and had made a molten calf and had said that this is the God that brought them up out of the land of Egypt. And when Moses saw it, he threw the tables down and broke them. Contrary to the movie, The Ten Commandments, the earth did not open up and swallow Korah, Dathan, and Abiram into the pit. Uh, that happened later in the 16th chapter of the book of Numbers. But uh, they took a little liberty there and did that. So I just have to say that because most people get more, uh, probably more of their theology from movies than they do from the Bible. <laughs> so it didn't happen exactly that way, but he did throw the tables down and broke them. And then the Lord told him the next day to uh, use some new stone and God would write the Ten Commandments on them again. And so he took these two new tablets up to the mountain. And that's the instance that we read about. It was in the 32nd chapter is where uh, Moses got angry and broke the tablets. And then he made some new ones and he went back up to meet with the Lord. And uh, this is recorded in Exodus chapter 33. And so um, it's, let's just start reading in verse 11. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in and uh, my sight. And then in verse 13, he says, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee and that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. Anyway, there's a lot that could be said about this, but I was just wanting to focus on the part where Moses was crying out to the Lord and he says, Now show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. You know, knowing God is what everything is all about. That really is the bottom line of the Christian life. You know, if I had to summarize what happens in our Bible colleges, we teach the Word, we do all kinds of things, but really it's all about relationship with the Lord. We've got one little lady that's in our school, and I think she's 86 years old. She's our oldest student. And if you've seen her on our television program, they interviewed her, and she's standing there going, they teach you to know Jesus. That's what she was saying. And she says, it's all about relationship with the Lord. And you know what? That's really what our school is all about. We use the Word, but all of these things are to bring people into relationship with the Lord. And brothers and sisters, I don't know why, but it seems like very few Christians have a good relationship with the Lord. They don't really know the Lord. They know about the Lord, but they don't know the Lord. You know, when you just know something about a person, but if you don't know a person, you can easily 
discredit that person. It's amazing to me, people that will say that, oh, they just love my ministry, and then they'll hear somebody say something about me, and they just instantly throw me in the trash bin. And it's because they don't know me. They'll take a person's accusation. But, you know, if you know me, I'm very predictable. Because there's just certain things. This is the way that I am. And people who know me, they don't sit there and take those things. But likewise, people say that they know the Lord, but then they will allow religion to come along and misrepresent God. And it's because they don't truly know Him. You know, I was born again when I was eight years old. And I had a genuine experience. And I knew the Lord as far as being Savior, but I didn't know the ways of the Lord at all. And but then I had an experience on March the twenty-third, nineteen sixty-eight, where God touched my life in a supernatural way. And I began to enter into a brand new relationship. I was already born again, but I began to start relating to the Lord. And I mean within a year or two, I came to know the Lord in a way that when people would sit there and accuse God of certain things, I'd say, No, that God didn't do that, because that is not the way that God is. I knew him. And this is what Moses is talking about. He says, show me your way that I might know you. And you've got to remember this too, that Moses is the guy who had spent 40 days on the mountain fasting. He didn't eat food or drink water. Did you know you can go 40 days without food? It's not necessarily easy to do, but you can do it physically. It doesn't. You don't begin to starve until after 40 days, but you can't go 40 days without water. If you go over three days without water, your body begins to die. And the longest I've heard of anybody living without any water is like 10 days maximum. Moses went 40 days without food or water. He came down, broke the tablets, and then the next day, recorded right here in the 33rd chapter, he went back up and fasted uh, without food or water for another 40 days. We don't know if he ate anything in between, but I can guarantee you this. You cannot recover from a 40-day fast in one day and then go do it again. This was absolutely supernatural. He was in the presence of God. He saw God. It says here that God spoke to him face to face. That's that's not actually accurate because he says later in this exact same chapter and then in the next chapter, he says, no man can see me face to face and live. Not the fact that God's going to kill you if you do it. It's just that God is so glorious that our physical bodies cannot handle the glory of God. If you were to see God as He really is, you just would blow up. God is greater than what we can see. So when it says that He spoke to Him face to face, that's talking about He spoke to Him openly. He spoke to Him plainly. He didn't use visions and dreams. This is the Moses that had been 40 days in the presence of God, had God write on these tablets and carved the tablets out, spoke to him in an audible voice, had seen him do so many miracles that these 10 plagues over the land of Egypt and then split the Red Sea and on and on. Moses knew God better than anybody on the face of the earth. And here he is after all of these things saying, show me your way that I might know you. That's just amazing to me. You know, there may be somebody in here who who when I read this and said, I'm going to start talking about this, you thought, oh man, I wanted something else. (laughs) 
But just think about this. Here's Moses who knew God more than probably any other person alive on the earth at that time. And he's longing to know him more. If you really know God, the more you know about God, the more you want to know about God. To really understand God is just completely impossible. I think it's Romans eleven thirty three somewhere around there says that, uh, you know, it, to know God and all of his ways is beyond our ability. You cannot know him completely because he's just bigger than us. He's infinite. We're finite. But you can know God in a way that will just transform your life. And the more you know God, the more you want to know God. If there's anybody in here who feels like, oh, I know enough about God, then you don't even know God. Because He is so big, He is so awesome that you want to know Him more. So anyway, when Moses said this about, show me your way that I might know you, the only way you really get to know God is through knowing His way or His ways. David said this same thing four times. And in uh, Psalms chapter 25, I believe it's verse 7, he said, show me your ways, plural. And four times David called out. And again, David is another person that had a great relationship with God. So my point is that if you really want to know God, the way that God reveals Himself is through... His way. This, this uh, Hebrew word that is translated way here, it literally means like a road as trodden or walk down. In other words, it's talking about your path. Show me how you act. And then it also means a manner of life or way of conduct. And so he's asking, God, show me how you act. What your nature is that I might know you and find grace in your sight. And so what I want to do during this series is I want to just talk about some of the ways of the Lord that God has revealed to me. And I don't claim that I understand everything about the Lord, but God has shown me some things that have totally transformed my relationship with Him. And I'm going to share some of those things that I consider to be the most important things about the way of the Lord. And what this will do is if you understand how God acts based on what the Scripture reveals... This will help you to come to know the Lord. And I wish I had time to do this. I don't have time to do it, but I will refer to this. I've got a teaching entitled Eternal Life. And most people think eternal life is living forever. That's not what eternal life is because Hitler's living forever. He's just not in heaven. He's separated from God. Everybody lives forever. There is no such thing as ceasing to exist. Matter of fact, he... Uh, John 17, 3 says, This is life eternal. This was Jesus speaking. This is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is knowing God. Not knowing about God, not just knowing that He exists, but it's knowing God intimately. The Bible uses the word know to describe that Adam knew his wife Eve and that she conceived and bare a son. And it's talking about the most intimate relationship that you can have in the physical realm. Knowing God isn't just talking about intellectual knowledge, but it's talking about a heartfelt knowledge, a relational, an intimate knowledge with God. And that's what eternal life is. Now put that together with John 3, 16 that says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The reason Jesus died for you wasn't to forgive you of your sins. I know some people are just like, what are you saying? Jesus died to give you everlasting life, which is knowing God intimately. And it just so happened that a barrier that stood between us and God was our sins. And so Jesus did die for our sins and forgive them, but not just so that our sins could be forgiven, but to remove that obstacle so that we could have relationship with God, that you could know God intimately. That's the goal of salvation, not getting your sins forgiven. The church has preached basically get your sins forgiven so you won't go to hell, but instead you'll go to heaven. Well, that's a wonderful thing, but that's, that's much, much more to it. Because it says now you have eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start when you go to heaven. You can have relationship, intimate, personal relationship with God right now. And that is why Jesus came to this earth is so that you can know Him, that you can have God as your best friend. You know, I've talked to God all day long. I encourage you to get my series on prayer. Most people made a religious deal out of prayer. Prayer is just communion with God, and you ought to be communing with God all of the time, and yet most people don't know God that way. They know Him, they, they devote 10 minutes or 30 minutes and have a devotion or something and think that they're having a great relationship with God. That's pitiful. If he's with you 24 hours a day and you can reduce your relationship to 10, 20, 30 minutes or an hour, you got a sorry relationship with God. He's with you all of the time. But most people don't know God intimately. And because of that, they are actually missing out on the goal of salvation. The goal of salvation isn't to get your sins forgiven. The goal of salvation is to get your sins forgiven so that you can have an intimate, personal relationship with God. And if you aren't having intimate relationship with God, you're missing the purpose of salvation. Thank you for that thunderous silence. You know, all of the children of Israel knew about God. They had been through the Red Sea. They saw the miracles, but they didn't know God. Here's the man who God used saying, Show me your ways so that I might know you and find grace in your sight. Man, that is an awesome, awesome statement. You know, before I can get into talking about some of these ways of the Lord that He's shown me that have really made a difference in my relationship, let me just say that some people respond to this by saying, well, you know, Moses is a guy who knew God in an intimate way, and maybe you could say that David did, but they look at it as only a select few people can do this. But in the new covenant, this is one of the great things about our new covenant is that this is the inheritance of every single born-again Christian. The Lord wants every one of us to have this intimacy with Him. This isn't reserved for a preacher. It's not reserved for the super saints. This is reserved for every Joe Blow and Jane Doe believer. Amen. Every one of you 
God wants to have a close, intimate, personal relationship with you. Let me turn over to 2 Corinthians and look at this passage of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two and verse eight. It's talking about the wisdom of God, and it says, "Which none of the princes of this world known, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." But as it is written, and then he quotes an Old Testament scripture: "I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him." And I grew up in church and people would use this verse to say, you just can't really know God. You can't understand the things of God. Eye hasn't seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him. And that is a scripture and it is quoted from the Old Testament. But it's wrong to interpret that as saying that you can't know the ways of God because the very next verse says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. This is just saying that you can't know God with your head. It's not just intellectual. It's not something that you just understand God intellectually. You have to know God by your heart. And the New Testament believer has had the Holy Spirit imparted unto us to reveal Jesus unto us. The 14th, 15th, and 16th chapter of the book of John, five different times Jesus talks about that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things, lead you into all truth. He will reveal me unto you. He will take of mine and give it unto you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring you into relationship with Jesus and God the Father, that you might know them, that you might have eternal life. So this isn't saying that you can't know God. It's saying you can't know God just with your peanut brain. You got to listen to your heart. You know, I had a man talk to me out here tonight and saying that, man, we want to come to Bible college and we just need wisdom. And I said, well, I prayed with him and I believe God gave him wisdom. But I said, you know what? Don't try and figure this completely out. If you wait until you get it all figured out and there are no questions, you'll never do what God tells you to do. I said, you've got to listen to your heart. And I said, there's a balance between this. You don't just ignore wisdom and not think. But at the same time, don't let your thinking stop you from doing what God puts in your heart. You've got to learn to live out of your heart, not live out of your head. And this is completely contrary to our culture today. But this is saying that just with your eye, with your ears... With your mind, you cannot know God, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. This is just saying that nobody really knows what you're like at the core level except your own spirit. Likewise, nobody really knows God except the Holy Spirit and whoever the Holy Spirit reveals him to. It's a heart matters what he's talking about. In verse 12, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Well, that's a great verse. 
Some people don't understand that, but this is just saying that we aren't using words to persuade people. If you were to go up into the first part of this second chapter, he says the same thing. We are preaching, but we aren't using the wisdom of this world. Instead, we're using demonstration and power of the Spirit. This is just saying that you can't argue a person into the things of God. You can't just intellectually do it. It has to be by the Spirit. It has to come by revelation. Boy, that is a great statement right there. You know, the Lord, I learned a lot about the Lord in the church that I was brought up in. But it was all intellectual. And you know what? When I encountered Him and began to have a relationship with Him, uh, it just basically changed everything I knew about God. I was told that God's the one that killed my father when I was 12 years old. That God did that. He needed him in heaven more than I needed him. I was told that by the pastor of the church. That was wrong. That's not the ways of God. I was told that God's the one that caused all kinds of problems. And there's a lot of people that are being having God misrepresented to them and stuff. But when you come to know him and by the spirit of God, revelation, it, it changes a lot of your doctrine. I've had a lot of people come to me and say, I've read those same scriptures a hundred times and never get out of what you say. And yet when you say it, I know it's right. The Holy Spirit bears witness. And there's a lot of people that only read the Bible with their brain, not with their heart. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible to your heart. Now it has to go through your brain. I'm not saying you turn your brain off, but it has to be received. There is a revelation knowledge. You know, I can read all kinds of scriptures and I can intellectually answer things and I can tell you this, but when uh, you could ask the people in our Bible school, we have questions and answers sometimes and they say, what about this? And one of my favorite responses is, I don't know. <laughs> and I can tell people, I say, I can tell you, I've read commentaries and I can tell you what this person says that verse means and what this says and what this says, but I haven't got it by revelation yet. I don't know if, if you relate to that or not, but I could tell you intellectually a lot of things, but I, I don't really minister things until they become a revelation to me, until the Holy Spirit quickens it to me, until I have relationship with God and God has supernaturally revealed those truths to me. I don't operate out of just head knowledge. I try not to. I can't say I do it perfectly, but that's my goal anyway. And look at the next verse in verse 14. It says, and, but, the spirit, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What a powerful verse is that. With your natural mind, I don't care if you have degrees after your name. It doesn't matter how intellectual or how smart you are. You cannot know God just intellectually. You have to know God by the revelation of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that reveals it to you. Your natural man cannot know the things of God. They are foolishness unto him. You know why there's so many people mocking God today and looking at, at the Word and making fun of it? I just read a survey and I forget the exact numbers, but the vast majority of people in America and the vast majority of Christians do not believe that the Bible is accurate and true. They look at it as a vague representation of God. You know why? Because they, they just 
science and other things have talked them out of the accuracy of the Word of God. They're operating intellectually. Our society glorifies intellectual things. And I'm not saying again that you turn your brain off, but you've got to know God by the Spirit. That is so powerful. These are powerful passages right here, and it's amazing how few people follow their heart. I can guarantee you that every person in here, sometime or another, has had a decision to make, and you've had a, 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 like a Y in the road, a fork in the road, and you have to make a decision, should I do this or should I do that? And so you pray about it, and your heart says, go this way. But intellect and finances and everything else, you know, says go this way. And so you follow just the natural things. You go by the uh, counsel of everybody else. And, and when you do it, you mess up, something doesn't work. And I can guarantee you, every person in here has come back sometime or another and said, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. Am I right or am I right? I can guarantee you that's true. I can give you an example in my life. There's thousands of them probably, but I remember pastoring a little church and um, there was all of the elders in the church were custom combiners and they left and followed the weed harvest for six months out of the year. And so when I first came there, it was in the winter and they were, everything was fine. But then they got ready to follow the weed harvest and they said, we need to have an elder that stays here and is a part of this church. And so I said, well, that's okay. And they wanted to pick this one guy. And this guy had been a friend to me. Matter of fact, when I went there, everybody thought I was of the devil. They used to take all type of faith stuff and burn those tapes and books and stuff like what I taught was considered to be of the devil, but we saw a man raised from the dead and they couldn't say anything. So they let me come, but they, they didn't like it. And the only person in the church who really embraced me and liked it was this guy they wanted to put in as an elder. So it looked good. There was no reason not to do it. But when I prayed about it, I just said, nope, I don't think so. So I came back and told them, I said, no, I don't want him to be an elder. And they said, well, why not? And I didn't have a reason other than I just didn't feel good about it. I didn't feel peace about it. And so they started saying, well, why would you, what's wrong with this man? And they started arguing with me. And anyway, over a week or two weeks period of time, I didn't have a reason. There was not a single physical reason. This guy had been nice to me. He said he enjoyed my teaching. Everything was good. But I just didn't feel peace about it. And finally, they just coerced me. And I said, okay. We put him in, ordained him as an elder. They left, and the very next day, he got up and tried to take over the church, told people I was of the devil, said I'd been stealing money from the church, which I didn't even take a salary from the church. He said I'd been committing adultery, that I'd gotten drunk, that I did drugs. He accused me of everything. He just turned into Satan himself. <laughs> and as soon as that happened, I said, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that, but it wasn't with my head. And you know what? I made a decision right then that in the name of the Lord, I'm not doing that again. And to this day, if I don't feel good about something, I, I basically just don't do it. And I don't care if there is a reason. Jamie and I were just over in China. And it's a long story. The short version is I was given an opportunity to do something that normally I would have jumped at it. And yet I prayed about it and I said, nope, I just... I'm not going to do it. Jamie nearly fell out of her chair. 
our UK director nearly fell out of his chair. They were just, I, I can't believe you aren't going to do this. And I said, I just don't feel peace about it. And so I didn't do it. And did you know that the next day we found out that if I had done that, it would have closed the door. I wouldn't have been able to minister. And I meant this man who has started over a million churches in the underground church in China. And I got to minister to him and his leaders. And they were so touched by the grace of God that they now want us to go back and train a million pastors. And we just had one of our Bible college graduates go over there for two months and spy out the land. And they came back two days ago and they're getting ready to take a team over there and we're going to start taking advantage of this opportunity. And I would have missed that if I would have followed my head instead of following my heart. I'll tell you what, that's just... There is no reason in the natural not to do this. But I say all of these things to say that in the new covenant, we have the Holy Spirit that has been given to us for this specific purpose of revealing Jesus and revealing the ways of the Lord. And you can know the Lord. And I'll say something here that some of you might swallow hard on this. But you know what? You can know God much better than Moses did. And some of you are thinking, man, I've never seen God. I've never had an audible voice. I've never done all the things that Moses did. But you know, you can know God in a way that's greater. It says that all of these Old Testament prophets, they longed for our day. What you and I have is better than what Moses had. It's better than what David had. It's better than what Elijah and Elisha had. We have such an ability to know God and to commune with God that it puts every person in the Old Testament to shame. In comparison, they had no glory is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So as we start talking about this, I just wanted to make sure that some of you don't think, well, that's wonderful, you talking about knowing God, and maybe there's a few people who know God, but I can't do that. That's kind of the attitude that the average Christian has, but you have an ability to know God through the revelation of the Holy Spirit that puts all of the Old Testament saints, Moses, to shame. I can guarantee you, if somebody would have come and told Moses about Jesus, now he had some recollection of it, some revelation. He prophesied that there would be another prophet like unto him and that that prophet we would hear. And that's quoted again in Romans chapter 10 and applied to Jesus. And so he had some revelation of God sending some special messenger, but he didn't understand about Jesus being God in the flesh, dying for our sins, and all of these things. The things that you and I have had revealed unto us are infinitely greater than what Moses knew about God. And yet look what he did. You may not know everything about God, but if you just took the revelation that God's already given you and really milked it for all it was worth and just and drew on that relationship, man, there is no telling what God could do through all of our lives. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we need to have this same attitude that Moses has. God, show me your ways so that I might know you. 
I want to know you more. You know, there's a song that I've sung a lot, and it says, Lord, I want to know you more. And one of the phrases says, and I would give my final breath to know you in your death and resurrection. Man, that's about what it takes. As long as you can live without intimacy with God and knowing God, you will. You know, God isn't just going to sit there and satisfy your things and you say, well, God, I've got five minutes before my favorite show comes on and if you can reveal yourself to me in five minutes, then great. As long as he fits into your schedule, that's not the way it works. You have to get to where you long to know him more and that that is the focus, the priority in your life. And when you get to where you really long for that and seek with all of your heart, then I can promise you this, God wants to reveal himself to you more than you want him to reveal himself to you, and he will do it. But he's not going to do it in the, in the next five minutes. He's not going to do it on your time schedule. You have to get to where you put a priority on knowing God. And when you do that, I believe God will move all of heaven and earth to find that. It says over in First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it might be Second Chronicles, 16.9, he says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking to show himself strong in behalf of those who are perfect in his sight. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. He's here tonight. He's in this room and he's taking these words that I'm saying and the Holy Spirit is searching and saying, is there anyone who would make a commitment that they want to know God more than anything else? And if he can find somebody whose heart is really given over towards that, he will move heaven and earth to reveal God and his nature and his ways unto you. I really believe that. I don't think that we're the ones that are seeking God more than he's seeking us. He's seeking us and when he sees you turn and open up to him, God will reveal himself to you. Isn't that awesome? So man, I can preach on this. I can preach on that all through the weekend. That is a powerful truth. But what I want to do here is he says, show me your way so that I might know you. The way you know a person is by looking at their actions. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, the part of that verse says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your actions are a reflection of what's in your heart. Sometimes you can violate what's in your heart. Like I was giving that example about following the uh, advice of these elders because they just pressured me and I didn't have a good explanation. But you won't consistently operate contrary to what's in your heart. If you look at a person's life, their actions will show you what they are really like. And there's a lot of people today that say, oh, that's not true, but it is true. Your, your dominant thought of your heart determines your actions. And so if you want to really know what a person's like, look at how they act. If you're going to hire a person, go get a resume. Get somebody else to critique them and talk about what they've done. Because you know what? Their past performance will indicate what their true heart is. Now, God can change a heart and praise God. We can all receive forgiveness and start a new record with the Lord, but I'm saying that unless God intervenes and changes a heart, your actions are an indication of what your future is going to be like. 
And so the way you see or come to know the Lord and what He's really like is to look at His actions. God is known by the judgment that He has executed. And this Bible is a revelation of the actions and the ways of God, and it reveals God to us. So what I want to do is begin to start talking about some of the things that literally changed my life. And the very first thing, I don't necessarily know that this is the, the proper order as far as importance, but in my life, these are the, the number one thing probably that began to start turning my life around is to start recognizing that God does not control every single thing that happens in this earth or happens to you. Now that may be a radical statement to some of you. But I tell you, that is a faith killer. I believe that that is one of the worst doctrines in the body of Christ. It's probably the predominant doctrine in the body of Christ. Is people just assume that if God is God, He controls everything. And so therefore, if something bad happens, people are always saying, Why did God let that happen? That's just amazing. Matter of fact, I had David Hardesty, my manager, tell me that I needed to address this. So this will be my token address. But we recently had the guy that was our director of our Bible college in Uganda, Leland Shores, died. He was only 49 years old. And in 11 years, that man just did awesome. I mean, he came from not even really seeking the Lord. He was born again, but he wasn't seeking the Lord. He was choking to death on a sandwich. And he was very prosperous, had all of these physical things, but as he was laying on the floor choking, thinking he was going to die, his life flashed in front of him. And uh, he realized that all of his money and all of his success didn't amount to a thing. And he made a decision to serve the Lord and give God everything. And I mean, within two days, he sold his house, his belongings, everything he had. He was out on the street in two days. And his mother happened to be a partner of ours and says, why don't you check out Carrie's Bible College? And he came there, got, he'd never heard of me, but he got touched. He came to know the Lord. And he spent three years with us. And then he spent eight years in Uganda. And in eight years, he literally impacted an entire nation. There's, over, there's around 500,000 people a week going through a discipleship course that we have. He has a Bible school there. We had one lady here that uh, took a picture over, in, right here, took a picture over in front of our Bible school in Uganda. I mean, in front of our bookstore. It's great. We've actually seen Idi Amin's daughter born again in our bookstore. Awesome things happening. We got a Bible school going there. Leland just did awesome things. I told him, I said, it took me 20 and 30 years to get the traction that you've got in just a short period of time. And this guy just has been used of God. And then he died June the 23rd. And we put a tribute on our website about that. And I have had numerous people write in. And I remember one lady in particular just devastated. I can't believe that Leland died. How could I ever trust God again? This has shaken my faith. And I just, I honestly wouldn't even mention this because I wouldn't give um, credit to that kind of an attitude. I don't understand people except that you know why that shakes people? 
because they think, well, God controls everything. And if He was serving the Lord and if He was being used of the Lord, well, then how could something like this happen? That doctrine that God controls everything brings a tremendous amount of confusion and hurt and pain to a lot of people. I'm telling you, God does not control when you die. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus came to destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. God doesn't have a number circled in heaven with your, you know, on a calendar and this is your number is up. We have all of these kind of things that we say and people think just God controls who lives and who dies. And they think that if your marriage falls apart, why did God let this happen? If your business fell, why did God do this? God could have changed that. That doctrine is straight from the devil. God does not control all of these things. You know, the way I look at it is that if, if Leland was perfect, if he was Jesus in the flesh, a second Jesus, well, then probably he, he could have overcome whatever it was that killed him or whatever. But I look at it as like a soldier that's on the front lines and you're fighting. And when you're on the front lines, Satan is just out to get you. And he just dropped his shield for a second and got shot and died. He's still a hero. He gave his life for the Lord. I'm not flowing in the Holy Ghost 24 hours of every day. And man, by the grace of God, I hadn't been killed. But you know what? If I was to die next week and if something happened, some people would think, well... Man, this shakes my faith. It shouldn't. God's not the one to kill me. Forgive me for just being upset, but I hate that doctrine. That doctrine will kill you. And there are people sitting right here that something negative has happened in your life and you prayed about it and asked God to intervene and because it didn't work out the way you thought it should, then your faith in God is shaken. God doesn't control everything. He gave control to us. And He told us, don't let the devil have it. Don't eat of this fruit. And we deliberately disobeyed Him. And we turned the devil loose on this world. And He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes for no other purpose except to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The devil is the one that's killing people. And when somebody says, well, why did God let this happen? I just, if, man, it's a good thing I'm not God or I just drop kick you right out into space. People are sitting there 200 pounds overweight and struggling and say, why isn't God healing me? There's consequences to the way you live. It's not God not healing you. You carry around 200 pounds of extra weight and you're going to have problems. And I don't care how hard you pray. There are consequences to our actions. You act like the devil and then your wife divorces you and you say, why did God let that happen? You're the one who caused it to happen. And you may have been praying and asking God to keep it together, but your actions were, were destroying and negating your prayers. I tell you, this really causes a lot of problems in the body of Christ. And there are people that preach that nothing can happen without God's approval. We've got the, uh, one of our instructors in our Bible school taught on this at our family Bible conference. And he answered that question real quickly by just saying, 
Why do you think God controls everything? He doesn't control you. <laughs> God doesn't make you do everything, right? You get in the flesh, you get angry. You don't give. He doesn't make you give. He doesn't make you do what's right. If he doesn't control you, then what makes you think he controls everybody else? God gave authority to us. And we're the ones who release either life or death. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, Behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. God gave you the choice. God will not force life and blessing upon you, and the devil can't force death and curse upon you. You're the one that chooses. You're the one that chooses. You know, if you're driving down the road and if you go to sleep, God didn't sit there and cause you to run off the road and wreck your car and have a wreck and do these things. God didn't do that. You're the one that fell asleep and there's consequences to going 60 miles an hour while you're asleep. (laughs) You know what? Only religious people have bought into this doctrine. And like I said, it's probably the number one prevalent doctrine in the body of Christ today is the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. I will buy into the sovereignty of God if you will use sovereign the way the dictionary defines it, which means first in rank, order, or authority. If you want to say God is the top of the food chain that nobody tells God what to do, that He is almighty... I agree with that 1,000%. No arguments. But if you use sovereign the way it... You can't find this in the dictionary definition. You go check it out. You can't find it. But religion defines sovereign as means he controls everything. Nothing can happen without his control. You can't find that in a dictionary. You look the word sovereign up and it won't say that. But that's what religion says, that God makes every single thing happen. And that is absolutely untrue. God has given us a choice. He doesn't force you to be saved. He doesn't force you not to go to hell. God gave you a choice. You know, some of you probably have this fairly well worked out and you're thinking that, man, I'm making a big deal out of this when it's not that big of a deal. But I tell you, there are so many people that struggle with this doctrine. And it gives you a wrong impression. It blames God for every bad thing that happens in the earth. There are people that if a child is born with any kind of a mental problem, if they have a developmental problem, why did God do this? God doesn't cause children to be born with birth defects. God doesn't make people blind. God doesn't uh, make some people have all of these things. You know, when I was a kid, there was this, um, I think it was called thialinamide or something like this, that uh, drug that was given to pregnant women, and it caused children to be born with arms that only stretched out to here. And I actually knew a guy when I played Little League as a kid who had 
two arms that could just barely grab the bat right here. And people think, why did God do that? God didn't do that. People were taking a drug that caused birth defects. We now found out that smoking causes birth defects and all kinds of other things cause birth defects. God doesn't do those kind of things. God does not make your child born that way. God doesn't do that. And yet religion will tell you He does do it. And one of the reasons that they do it is so that they don't have to deal with maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I uh, wasn't walking in health and stuff. And so rather than accept responsibility, we just blame God. God is the one that sovereignly controls everything. But it's giving God a bad name. There's a person, I won't mention his name, but every person in here knows who I'm talking about. Or you, you would if I was to give you his name. But his sister died when he was a little kid and he was very close to his sister and they went to a Presbyterian church and the Presbyterian says, well, God had a plan. God had a purpose. This couldn't have happened if it wasn't God's will. And that person says, if there is a God, I hate him. And he has become a renowned atheist, agnostic And he has one of the largest media groups in the world. And he has sworn and said that I am doing everything I can to change the Judeo-Christian ethics of America. And every person in here has watched his network and his programs. And you are letting him spew his anti-Christian stuff into you. And it happened because people started out blaming God for killing a little girl. And God didn't do it. God does not do those things. With Adam and Eve, God told them, don't eat of the tree. They did it. And then the consequences came and people say, well, look what God did. No, they did that. They're the ones that chose death. The Lord had to give them a choice. If they hadn't had a choice, they would have been like robots. He says, this way is good, this way is bad. Don't go down this way. They chose to go that way and then they blame God for everything that comes as a result. God did not do that. And even in the Old Testament, there were times that God judged people, such as in the uh, sixth chapter of the book of Genesis, when God came down and saw that the, the uh, earth was full of violence and that the imagination of people's hearts was only evil continually. And God said it grieved him at his heart that he had made man and repented that he had created mankind. You know, I've never read that scripture that that just doesn't really affect me. To think that God Almighty, He's nothing but good. And yet He was grieved at His heart because of all of the tragedy that the human race has brought Him. And He decided to destroy man and beast from off of the earth. But it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God spared Noah and his sons and their wives but he destroyed the rest of the world. And people look at that and think, well, look what God did. Yeah, he did that, but you know what? That was judgment. It wasn't a blessing. Religion, again, see, has perverted stuff. It says in uh, Isaiah chapter 5 that woe unto those that call evil good and good evil. And that's what religion has done today. Religion has come along and said... Oh, when God punishes you and does all these, it's really a blessing in disguise. It's not a blessing in disguise. You can read over in um, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 15, says these are blessings. 
And it's a blessing to lend unto many nations, but never borrow. It's a blessing to be well and not sick. It's a blessing to be above only and not beneath. It's a blessing to all of these things. And then verses 15 through 68 are the curses. It's just like if you had a huge screen up here and a line down the middle and verses 1 through 14, blessings. Verses one, uh, 15 through 68, curses. It says it's a curse to be sick. It's a curse to have an itch. It's a curse to have the botch. It's a curse to have skin disease. It's a curse to be sick. It's a curse to be poor. It's a curse to have mildew. It's a curse to have high winds, damaging winds. It lists them. These are curses. The religion is turned around and said, oh no, it's really a blessing. This cancer is a blessing. Read Deuteronomy 28. It's a curse. Did God strike people with curses? Yes. Before Jesus came, he used wrath and judgment upon people. But Jesus bore the curse for us in Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith. We have had the curse removed. So you can go to Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 through 68. And if you find it listed as a curse, you can say, this is the ways of the Lord I'm talking about. You can say that God will not judge me and curse me because he's already cursed Jesus. And so I am not going to have sickness, the botch, the mildew, emrods. I am not going to have damaging wind. God set me free from these things. Praise God. That's the ways of God. And yet religion today is telling you, oh no, this was really a blessing. I could name another person. I'm not going to do this because I'm not against the person. I'm just against the, the error, the wrong. But there is a person who is a quadriplegic and on radio and crediting God with doing this. And they have done this now for 20 or 30 years. They've led people to the Lord. They love God. They aren't a bad person, but they say God made them this way. And yet, if you actually read their story, this happened when they were a teenager. They went swimming and jumped into a place that had a big sign, no swimming, no diving. And they did it and they hit their head, broke their neck and became a quadriplegic. And then says that God made them this way to glorify him. God didn't do that to them. But you know what? God can use it. If you turn to the Lord, I mean, if you become a quadriplegic and all you can do is lay down on your back and look up, well, then you can turn to God, but God didn't do it to you. You know, my son Joshua, he's now what, 36 or something, 37? How old is he? Huh? 37. But when he was only a year old, I was loading lumber in Texas and it was really, really hot. And we were using this huge, big old truck to load lumber and the lumber yard didn't have uh, pavement in it. It was just dirt. And Joshua was out running around and playing and he was all sweaty. And then it came time for him to take a nap. And um, I didn't want him laying down in the dirt. He'd have mud caked on him. And so I put him in this truck and he loved this truck. He'd been wanting to get into the cab of that truck all day long, but it was so hot I had to roll the windows down. 
And when I put him up there and told him to lay down on that seat and take a nap, well, he revived. And he got to playing and looking out that side, I mean, leaning out that window and waving at me in the uh, uh, side mirror. And I told him, now, Joshua, lay down. You could fall out. And I told him to... uh, not to do that. And eventually I wound up spanking him. I said, you need to lay down. You could hurt yourself. But he disobeyed me. He leaned out the window, fell, and that truck was over my head. So it was over six foot tall. He fell out of that and hit his eye on the running board and landed right on his head on the ground. And he started crying. And I went up and got him, calmed him down, prayed with him. And when I found out that he was all right... Then I said, now, Joshua, this is what I was telling you, that if you would have laid down and have done what I told you, this wouldn't have happened. And I said, that's the reason you're supposed to obey me when I tell you something. So, you know what? I took a negative thing that happened and I taught him a lesson through it. But if Joshua would have been like most Christians, he would have gone out and said, "My dad told all of his friends, my dad is such a wonderful dad that he pushed me out of the cab of that truck and I got a black eye and I landed on my head and nearly broke my neck so that he could teach me something. I didn't do that to him. I did everything within my power to keep him from doing it. But when it happened and he was hurting and all of a sudden now he was ready to listen, I took it and I used it, but I didn't do it to him. You can learn things by problems. You can go out there. You can beat your head against that wall and find out it hurts. Or you could just let me tell you and you don't have to do it. But you know what? You go beat your head against the wall and come back with a headache and say, what's wrong? Would you pray for me? I can give you some encouragement and tell you why that happened. And I can use that. But that doesn't mean I made you do it. God can use whatever comes against us, but God is not the source of our problems. He is not causing you to have problems. Most of our problems come because we yield ourselves to the devil. That's why most of them come. But there are some things that happen. You could be walking with God perfectly and still have problems. Because we live in a fallen world and Satan is coming against you. It says 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12, Yea, all of those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You are going to be persecuted. You will have problems. If you never bump into the devil, it's because you're both headed in the same direction. <laughs> you turn around and start swimming upstream and there's going to be some resistance. So you know what? Some things come against you and it's not because you did something wrong. Again, most of the time I think we do open a door to the devil and invite the problems that we have. We create many of our problems. But you can be doing exactly the right thing and still have negative things happen. Paul and Silas saw God in a, uh, in a vision. They saw a man saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And so they went there and within just hours of being in Macedonia, they were beaten and in prison and in the dungeon in stocks and they were doing exactly what God told them to do. And some people would look at that and think, well, I must have missed God. Because if you're serving God, God just sovereignly makes everything happen. That is not true. God does not control you and He doesn't control anybody else. He can influence people and to the degree that we submit, He can turn people around 
And ultimately, he is going to get his will done, but he does not micromanage and control every single thing that happens. You know, there's another minister. I won't mention his name, but I bet you every person in here has seen this guy. And I was watching his program and he had a woman on there who gave a testimony about her and her daughter were abducted at gunpoint, taken out into the country. They were both raped. And then he made them lay on the ground on their face and shot both of them in the back of the head trying to kill them. The daughter died, but the mother lived. And the mother had some physical problems left, but she was on this Christian television show talking about, well, God had a purpose. We don't understand, but, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And she was blaming God for abduction, rape, and murder. And there's a lot of Christians that say stuff like that. God does not cause the murder, the rape, the mayhem that is going on. That happens because he gave us a free will and people are turning themselves over to Satan and not to God and God does not control everything. And I know that there's bound to be somebody in here who is just livid at what I'm saying because this is such a dominant thing. And people, they want to embrace this because it makes them feel better. When someone dies, it gives them a sense of, well, it wasn't the devil that won or, you know, just somehow or another we missed out on God's best. God must have a redemptive purpose in it. And they just blame God and take comfort in the fact that, well, God did this for some reason. God does not cause all of the tragedy. He doesn't do that. And there are times that we just flat miss it and get beat. And there's some people that are so insecure, so weak, that they can't allow that thought because that would mean that I'm wrong. Well, again, it's not every time something bad happens that you caused it. A lot of times it is. But, yeah, you have to admit that, you know what, we don't live in a perfect world. And we don't do things perfectly. And we can fail. And there's some people that just can't embrace that. But I'm telling you that there's a lot of people in here that have failed. And it's nice to just sit there and somehow or another blame it on God and say, well, you know, God works in mysterious ways. God did this for some reason, but God didn't do everything negative in your life. There's an enemy that's going about seeking whom he may devour. And you need to recognize that God isn't in control of every single thing. Now, he can control things. If you will yield to him, God can give you supernatural power and authority. And you can walk through the lion's den. You can go through the fire and not be burned. But it takes some cooperation and faith on your part. It doesn't just happen if you aren't seeking God. Look at this verse in Romans chapter 8. I need to deal with this. Again, I'm saying a lot of things that I wish I had more time to defend. I could teach on this one point all week in, but I'm just going to deal with this tonight. But in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 28, look at this passage of Scripture. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. People have taken that verse... And have said, well, this shows that God is sovereign. God makes every, everything is from God. Even the devil can't do something to you without going and getting permission from God. That is not true. 
That is a total misunderstanding and application of the book of Job. Man, I hadn't even got time to teach on the book of Job. I got a great teaching on that, though. But people say, I actually heard a man one time, I was doing a a full gospel businessman's meeting and I was the one that was actually leading the singing and this speaker came in and he had just come from a funeral and he taught on Romans 8, 28. And there was two young people who died and he said, you know, all things work together for good. We don't understand the ways of God, but there was a reason why these two teenagers died. And later in the story, he told about that they were both drunk and doing drugs and speeding at, on a slip, slippery road. It was raining, and they went around a 90-degree turn at 60 miles an hour and couldn't make the turn and hit a telephone pole, and they died. And he says, you know, God works all things together for his good. And he blamed God for doing that. God didn't kill those kids. They killed themselves. Now, Satan might have been involved in the sense that he had them drunk and taking drugs, but that wasn't even just the devil. That was their wrong decisions, and you can't go around a corner at 60 miles an hour without going off the road, and there's consequences to that. God didn't do that. Man, I just don't understand why this is so hard for people, and yet people fight this. I think the reason is because if... That's true. You're saying that it's my fault. It's this person's fault that something happened. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And they just can't handle that. That you mean I could be something wrong? Yes. God does not control everything. Well, what does this mean then? Look at this. In verse 28, it says, and. The word and is a conjunction. That means it ties two sentences or phrases together. It's a continuation. In other words, when he talks about that all things work together for good, he says, and we know. So what are the two previous verses? Go back up to verse 26. And it says, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit that maketh intercession for us, maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So verses 26 and 27 are talking about the Holy Spirit making intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And if I had time, you could take the Greek word that is used there, and it literally, it's a compound word, and it means that the Holy Spirit takes hold together with us. In intercession. Now, the significance of that is the Holy Spirit doesn't intercede for you without you. And it's not you doing it on your own. It's when you start interceding and get into a groaning that cannot be uttered, then the Holy Spirit will take hold together with you and intercede the perfect will of God. And then Only if you have been operating in this Holy Spirit-led and empowered intercession does all things work together for good. It doesn't happen to every person. If you aren't seeking God, everything that's happening in your life is not working together for good. Now, it can. God could take anything. He can take a death. I was talking to a couple here tonight. I think it was this couple right here that they lost their first child 
And they didn't know what they know, but it got their attention and they started seeking God. And now they found out the truth. And you know what? They are strong tonight because they recognize how important it is and they're believing God for another child. And they are going to, they're going to overcome this. So God can take anything and work it together for good, but God didn't kill their baby. God did not kill their child. You know, I liken it to, I used to play football. And you know, if you're a really good football player and if you have the uh, mindset of football, you can take whatever your opponent is doing and use it to your benefit. You know, if you get the opponents, if the defense is just blowing through your line and you can't hold them out, you know what you do? You let them come through and then throw a screen pass. And here they all are up here. You throw it right over their head and you make a touchdown. And you know what? That'll make them start slowing down their approach. And you can take whatever your enemy or your opponent is doing and use it for your good if you know what you're doing. God, His wisdom so far supersedes ours that it doesn't matter what the devil throws at us. It doesn't matter how bad the thing is. If you would let the Holy Spirit intercede through you and seek God with your whole heart, God can work it together for good and bring something good out of it. Our son died and was dead for five hours. God didn't do that. God didn't kill my son. But because we knew God and because we knew how to stand in faith and I just started praising God, God worked that together for good. And my son came back from the dead after being dead for five hours. Amen. And now I rub the devil's nose in that all of the time. Amen. And I testify about the goodness of God. But I've never blamed God for killing my son. There's been lots of bad things happen to me and yet they've worked out for good because I sought God instead of quitting and giving up. But man, if I would have taken the advice of that pastor that came to me and said, God took your dad today because he needed him in heaven more than you. You know what? I could have gotten bitter. I could have thought, how does God need my dad more than a 12-year-old boy needs his dad? It was just the grace of God that I didn't rebel at that. God didn't do that. God doesn't cause all the problems. And you can't always figure out what it is. I think it's dangerous for you to, you know, this thing with Leland Shores when he died. Everybody want, well, what happened? Was that Leland's fault? Did somebody do this? I don't know. He was in Uganda. <laughs> I wasn't there. I don't know what happened. It's dangerous for you to always try and just pinpoint something because you might jump to a conclusion that was wrong. But it doesn't bother my theology. I know that, man, we are living in a, in a toxic world, in a fallen world, bad things happen to good people and it doesn't mean that God did it. So this says that this only works for those who are letting the Holy Spirit take hold together with them and intercede. And then notice it does not say that God's one that caused it. This doesn't say that God is the originator of it. It just says God can take whatever happens and work it together for good if you will seek Him, turn to Him, and use it. This person that became a quadriplegic, it worked together for good. They weren't seeking God. They were rebellious. They were ignoring things. But when they got flat of their back, you know what? God worked it together for good. They turned to the Lord and God's done a miracle in their heart and they... They glorify God and they've led a lot of people to the Lord. God used it, but God didn't cause it. God doesn't cause those bad things. And notice it says that God is able to make all things 
We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Here's another qualification. This doesn't work for people that don't love God. If you don't love God, if you aren't seeking God, then the bad things in your life are not working together for good. This is for people who are letting the Holy Spirit make intercession through them. People who love God. If you don't love God, then the things that are in your life aren't working together for good. Man, I don't know uh, why people can't get hold of this. These very verses that people use to twist scriptures and make them fit what they want them to say are saying just the opposite. This does not say God causes everything in your life and everything is going to work together for good. There are people right in this room that have had terrible tragedy in your life and you have been crippled and limping through life for years, decades, and it hasn't been good. Everything in your life does not make you better. Satan comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And everything isn't better. It can get better if you'll turn to God and let the Holy Spirit start interceding through you and love God with your whole heart. But there's some qualifications, some things we have to do before that happens. It does not happen automatically. So you have to love God and it says to them who are the called according to His purpose. 1 John chapter 3, I believe it's verse 8 or verse 9, says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that He might destroy the works of the devil. So here's the purpose of God, is to destroy the works of the devil. If you are called according to His purpose, if you have His purpose, if you are resisting the devil and fighting against Him and letting the Holy Spirit intercede through you and love God, well then God will take whatever the devil does in your life and work it together for good. But those are some ifs, and they don't just happen automatically. God does not sovereignly control everything that happens in your life. And if you think that He does, well, then it's going to make you passive. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word resist means to actively fight against. And if you're sitting here saying, Oh God, thank you for giving me this cancer. I know that there is some redemptive purpose. I know that you're working this together for my good. That's not resisting the devil. You know, if you're going to be consistent, if you really believe that God controls everything and nothing happens but what it's God's will, and if you get cancer, why would you go to the doctor and try and get out of God's will? That's inconsistent. If you really believe God's one who's given you this cancer, why resist it? Why not let it run its course? And let Him have His perfect work and just do what He really brought it to accomplish. Now, I'm not advocating that you do that, but I'm saying, can you see the inconsistency of that? When people say, oh, God's the one that gave me this trouble. And then you go and try and get a loan to get out of God's trouble that He brought your way. You go to the doctor trying to get out of God's will. That's crazy. And yet this is what people do all the time. I've had people before get so mad at me and come up and say, You're of the devil. How dare you teach this? God controls everything. Nothing can happen but what is God's will. And I'll just tell them, i say, Well, then I couldn't preach this if it wasn't God's will. And I have yet to have one of them say, that's true. No, they all stop and say, no, you aren't. That's not of God. And I say, well, 
I thought everything that happens is of God. That's inconsistent. You cannot believe that doctrine. God does not control every single thing. He can make it work together for good if you will seek Him, if you will let the Holy Spirit intercede, if you'll love God, and if you'll resist the devil, fight against it, destroy the works of the devil. But if you're passive and embracing it, well then, you are just letting Satan run roughshod over you. You know, even a lost man has more authority than the devil. If you would resist the devil, he would flee from you. How much more when we let the Holy Spirit intercede through us, when we love God? But this doctrine has made people passive towards the devil. And I tell you, it is something that that destroys your knowledge of God. If you think God is the one that's causing all of these birth defects, that's causing people to die premature, that's making people have wars and all of these kind of things, that's making people be angry and mean and bitter, and He's the responsible for every divorce and for every person who's got Alzheimer's and anything bad happening. If you blame God for that, you can say what you want to, but you do not know God. God is not that kind of a God. There are examples of where He judged people, but it was never a blessing. It was a curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And today we do not have God put all of these things on us. When you hear somebody say, God is going to judge America and He's going to destroy us. And God's the one that caused the Twin Towers to be destroyed. God is the one that caused Hurricane Katrina. God is the one that's causing the scourges across this land. It's punishment. You don't know God. God isn't doing that. Thank you for that. Amen. That one lone amen. I know that nearly everybody is saying things contrary to what I'm saying. I can't help that. I'm just telling you that this is what the Word says. And this is something that has changed my life. I don't understand everything yet, but you know what? I do know that God is a good God. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's the devil. And because of that, when my son died, I didn't get mad at God. I just, uh, again, I'm trying to operate in compassion, but I, I, good thing I'm not God. I got a short fuse, I guess. But man, when somebody tells me they're angry at God, it just makes the spirit of slap want to come all over me. God's never done anything for you to be angry at Him with. Now, you may have blamed Him for stuff, believing that He sovereignly controls everything, and if He wanted to, He could have done this. There are laws that govern how God moves. He created laws. It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 27, where is boasting? It is excluded by what law of faith? I mean, of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Faith is governed by law. God established law, spiritual laws and natural laws. And there are things that happen that God just, you could say, would not because He said, you resist the devil and He'll flee from you. You could say He will not resist the devil for you, but you could also say He cannot resist the devil for you because He'll never break His word. 
And if he gave you authority in that area, he cannot because he is holy and will never violate his word. He cannot change. And we just think, well, you know, if he really loved me, he'd throw all of these rules and laws and everything out the window and just do this because he loves me. No, God is holy. And God is not going to sit there and violate his word and... There's reasons why things happen. We don't always understand what those reasons are, but man, you got no reason to be mad at God. I tell you, this is foundational. And yet there's very few Christians that hold this view of God. God is a good God. God, this is one of the ways of God that you need to understand His way, that God is not the one who's caused all of this mayhem. We loose Satan in this world. You've made decisions that cost you. You have been deceived and you have cooperated with the devil and allowed Satan to come in and still kill and to destroy. God didn't do it. Amen. And I tell you, if you would start with this as a foundation, this changes everything. As you study the Word, you're going to find some Old Testament examples of God smiting people with things. But again, just always think this way. Was it a blessing or a curse? Did it make them better? No, it, it was a judgment. And God put all of His anger against sin for the human race upon Jesus. And in the New Covenant, it says in James chapter 1, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. That means He never changes. This is an absolute. It never is different. Only good and perfect gifts come down from the Lord. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts He any man. That's James chapter 1 also. So in the new covenant, we've been redeemed. And praise God, He is not going to destroy the earth again with the flood. He's promised. And He'll never put wrath and punishment and judgment upon me because He's promised that He did that to Jesus. And now, Jesus only comes to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So if you will receive this word tonight, did you know some of you could already begin to start having a better knowledge of the Lord, a better relationship with the Lord. You could quit imputing unto God the fact that somebody was born with a birth defect, the fact that somebody died early, the fact that somebody had Alzheimer's and you wondered why God let this happen. And it could begin to start changing your relationship with God from this very night. But I tell you, this is one of the ways of the Lord that if you believe God is the source of all of the evil and bad that we see in this fallen world, you are not going to know God in a positive way. Let me just use this example. What would happen if somehow or another I was the one that caused every person that was ever bitter and hurt, if I caused all of that? If I caused every birth defect, if I caused every divorce, if I caused all of the wars, every bit of murder, all rape, homosexuality, if I somehow or another caused all of these kind of things, and if I did this, and if this was my MO, my method of operation, how many of you would like to be my friend? 
How many of you would like to get close to me? I guarantee you, if that's the way that I really was, and if this is the type of person I was, there wouldn't be anybody here tonight. People wouldn't come to that. And yet this is what we're imputing to God and saying God is doing all of this and we wonder why everybody isn't beating the doors of our churches down. Don't you want to come to church and have God kill your child because you didn't pay tithes? It's not true. I tell you what, if we were representing the Lord properly, I think it would radically change the way that the world responds to us. I can tell you about this one man that I mentioned who wouldn't be an atheist and doing everything he can to change the Judeo-Christian ethics of America if he hadn't have been lied to by people that God's the one that killed his daughter. I mean, his sister. So praise God. I pray that this will help you and set you free. Father, we love you and we just thank you that you are a good God. Father, I thank you for this truth. And I know that I did a scatter shot on this tonight and covered a lot of different things and didn't go into detail. But Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take these things that I've said tonight and apply it to every individual. Holy Spirit, you are sent to reveal Jesus unto us. And I pray that you reveal and show us the goodness of God and that you are not the author of of all of these bad things, that there would not be a single person leave this room saying that God is the one who tempts them and puts problems in their life and causes the tragedy. Father, I just thank you that the Holy Spirit take this and set people free. Father, for those who have been angry at God, upset with God, questioning God because something happened that they didn't like, Father, I pray that you would set them free, that the love of God would appear unto them tonight, and that you would help them to just repent and turn from that. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm going to give an invitation in here for just in just a minute, but let me say, I just feel quickened of the Holy Spirit. And I know that some of you are hesitant to respond openly in front of other people, but I think it's important. The Bible says faith without works is dead. You got to do something. And it can't just be a mental ascent. You need to do something. And I would like to ask tonight, if there's any of you in here that have been bitter towards God, sometimes it could be rejection. Other times it could be that you aren't going to reject Him, but you just lost your confidence in Him. There's a you're disappointed with God. You've been imputing unto God that He's the one that caused these problems. And if you're one tonight that's either been angry at God, you've been questioning God, you're disappointed with God, you feel like you can no longer trust God because He let something happen, and tonight you've heard a truth that bears witness in your heart and you just want to say, Father, I'm sorry. I'm going to repent of that. I'm not going to hold this attitude anymore. If that's you, I'd like you to be humble enough, honest enough, just right where you are to stand. And I want to lead you in a prayer and repent of this and turn away from it. And I believe it's going to change you. I believe it's going to change your relationship with God. If that's you, I just want you to be bold enough to stand right where you are. Like I said, I know that there's some of you saying, I don't want to say this in front of people. 
but it's important. It's important that you respond to the Holy Spirit. Man, we're praying for you. We're for you. We aren't against you. You don't have to worry what people think about you. Anyone else? I'm going to pray this won't work if you're seated. You're going to have to stand. You got to do something. See, there were some people that were going to bootleg this prayer. They were going to sit down and receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? You know, I believe that this is really important. I believe I'm inspired of the Lord to do this. And so if you feel like, God, I feel like that I probably have a problem here, but I don't want to stand. It's important that you stand. It's important that you respond to the Lord. You need to do this. You need to let go. You probably said something verbally to somebody else. You know what? You did it publicly. You need to repent publicly. You need to say, I'm sorry. Still got people standing up. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for all of these people that have stood and we just thank you for your grace and your mercy that you're a good God. And Father, you don't impute our sins unto us. I know that you've forgiven even before they asked. But Father, we repent tonight of blaming you and being bitter towards you. Thank you for this truth. And Father, we receive this truth that you are not the author of all of these negative things that you only come to give us good and perfect gifts. So we repent of that attitude. We welcome the Holy Spirit to help clean all of this junk out of us that has happened because of this. And Father, we want to trust you again that you are a good God. And we've done it publicly. You said that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that you will lift us up. So these people have publicly humbled themselves. They've repented. And Father, I believe that you're lifting them up against any hurt, disappointment, bitterness, anything that's happened. Father, I just thank you for your mercy and grace flowing through this auditorium and touching every person that is standing and setting them free right now. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. know the damage that bitterness can do when you hold bitterness or unforgiveness towards people? I tell you what, it's the same thing when you are bitter towards God, have unforgiveness towards God. There are some of you that are now free and you're free to receive your healing, your deliverance. This bitterness has been holding you back. And I believe that this is going to make a turning point in your life. Let me ask if there's anybody here tonight who doesn't know Jesus personally. You need to be born again. That's the only way that you can really come to know Him. I can tell you everything I know about God, but you first of all have to know Him as your Savior, be forgiven of your sins. Like I said earlier, He gave His Son to do, so that we could have the sin removed and then have eternal life or know God. The whole purpose of Jesus coming was to bring you into this intimate relationship. If you don't know Jesus, you need to be born again. And then if you are born again, you need this baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is come to help you 
know Jesus. He will reveal Jesus to you from the heart level, not just the head level. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes many things, but it includes speaking in tongues. And I know that there's some of you that may think, man, speaking in tongues, I didn't know you were a tongue talker. You know, I'm not one that screams and yells and wipes my fevered brow. And there's always people that come to these meetings not realizing that I speak in tongues, but I do. Man, I speak in tongues a lot. I spoke in tongues a lot today. And I'm just telling you that you cannot really know God without the Holy Spirit coming and giving you a revelation. Speaking in tongues is an important part of receiving that. And somebody says, well, I believe I've got the Holy Spirit, but I don't speak in tongues. Well, I believe that you could have the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues. I did for three years. But when I spoke in tongues, it just increased a hundred times. I'm telling you, speaking in tongues is a way of releasing the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's like flipping a switch and turning on the power of God. If you want really to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you need to speak in tongues. So is there anybody here tonight who would say, I need either to know the Lord, get born again and receive Jesus as my Savior, or I'm already born again, but I need this baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. Is there anybody here like that? If that's you, I want to pray with you. Just hold your hand up so I can see who you are. Praise the Lord. There's people all over. Thank you, Jesus. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come down here and we want to pray with you and help you to receive. Come forward right now. Let's give them a clap offering. Amen. Praise God for this. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord. this auditorium rather than stand behind each other. Praise the Lord. Isn't this great? Thank you, Jesus. Okay, before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you first of all have to receive the one who gives the Holy Spirit, and that's Jesus. Jesus said he's the giver of the Holy Spirit, so you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody up here who's not absolutely certain about that you've received Jesus and that you've been born again, that God lives in your heart? Is there anybody who's not sure? I need to pray with you first. Anybody, if that's you, I need you to raise your hand and we'll pray with you first because you can't receive the Holy Spirit until you receive Jesus. Here's three over here. Anybody else? Here's another one. Anyone else? Here's another one. You aren't sure. Well, you need to make sure. You know, if you aren't sure... You need to make sure. The scripture says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. This is Romans 10, 9. The Lord Jesus. That's more than just saying the words. That's making a commitment of your life to Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect because you can't be perfect. 
but you're willing to turn your life over and you're wanting to live for him and let him control you. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He's already paid for your sins. There's no question, will he forgive you? He's already forgiven you. It's all about will you accept it by making him your Lord. And if you've never done that, you need to make sure and do that tonight. Anybody else who's not sure and you want to pray? Anyone else? Praise God. Well, there was about five or six here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to repeat after me. I'm going to ask everyone to pray and repeat this after me so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. And if you will say these words and mean them in your heart, it's not magic. You got to mean it. But if you will say these words and mean them in your heart, you'll be born again. Is that a good deal? That's awesome, isn't it? Praise God. Let's say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? Amen. You believe that, brother? Awesome. Isn't that good? You know, if you really believe that, then according to the Bible, you just became a brand new person in your spirit. You're totally changed. You're still a male or a female. But you know what? On the inside, you're all different. The Bible says that you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so with these that have prayed that prayer, that means all of us up here now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What that means is you were created for the Holy Spirit to come dwell in. You don't have to wonder, will God give you the Holy Spirit? That's what you were made for. You're a temple for the Holy Spirit. So don't doubt that God will give you the Holy Spirit. He said in Luke eleven thirteen, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a promise. He wants this more than you want it. I can guarantee you, God wants to put his power on the inside of you. Some people teach that if you have any sin in your life, God won't fill a dirty vessel. I want you to know God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. And if you got problems in your life, that just means you're a prime candidate for the power of God. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to overcome. So don't let any sense of unworthiness stop you from receiving. God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to ask one time. We aren't going to beg. And then I'm going to have our prayer ministers come up here. I'd like them to come up and they're going to stand behind you and they're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit into your life. And then I want you to quit asking and start thanking God by faith that he gave you the Holy Spirit. doesn't matter what you feel like. When I received the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel anything. But man, I got the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of faith. And then we're just going to start thanking God. 
And at that time, this is after they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands like this because the Bible says that when you lift up your hands, you bless God. This blesses God. It's a way of showing that you surrender. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. And so we're going to pray. They're going to lay hands on you. I want you to, after that, lift your hands. Thank God. And then those of us that have the Holy Spirit are going to start speaking in tongues. Because the Bible says that when you speak in tongues, you're giving thanks. So we're going to start thanking God with our gift of speaking in tongues. And we want you to switch from thanking in English to thanking Him in tongues. And I know some of you think, well, how do you do it? What do you do? I've got a book that I'm going to give you and it'll explain it. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. Somebody says, well, does everybody get this gift of speaking in tongues? It's like a pair of tennis shoes. It all, they all come with tongues. Amen. God's going to give every one of you this gift of speaking in tongues. The number one thing that stops people is they just are waiting on God to take your mouth and make it talk. It doesn't happen that way. It's just like when I spoke tonight. I believe that God spoke through me, but he didn't take my mouth and make it talk. I spoke. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out in my sense of humor. It was me talking, but I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired it. The Bible says, Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So he's not going to just take your mouth and make it speak. You're going to have to start making sounds and just by faith trust that it's God. And once you get your mind over it and off of the newness, you'll find it just flows out of you. It builds you up and it's God. And I've got a book that will explain the whole thing. But that's what we're going to do. Y'all ready? You ready to speak in tongues? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these, that they are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you created them to fill with the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we open up the doors of these temples, and we welcome you to come into these lives. We want you in our life. We want your power. We want this gift of speaking in tongues and all of the other gifts. We just welcome you to come into our life now and give you that freedom and liberty in Jesus' name. Now we lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus. We loose this power and this anointing to come upon you right now in Jesus' name. Oh, there's the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't shake your head. No, shake it. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Now I want you to lift those hands and start thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit. Out loud. Talk out loud. Thank you, Father. I believe your word. I believe that I receive the Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for filling me with your power. Now, those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's just begin to worship the Lord right now and speak in tongues. Give thanks. And as we speak in tongues, you switch from English over to speaking in tongues. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you say. But their tongue is not your tongue. You won't be able to copy another person. I've tried it. I can't do it. It'll come out different. But once you start speaking something that you don't understand what it is and it comes out different, don't quit. Just keep speaking. 
Just keep talking. Talk loud enough to hear yourself. Thank you, Father. Father, we just receive the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, you don't know what you're saying. You may wonder, what is the purpose of this? It's powerful. When you pray in tongues, it's your spirit that's praying. It's not your brain. You're releasing God out of your spirit. It's a powerful experience. It bypasses the doubt and the unbelief that's in your brain. And it comes right out of your spirit, man. The very fact that it's not coming from your mind helps you get over into the spirit realm and get out of just your intellect. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We worship you. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Boy, many, many, many of these are speaking in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. And right now, the power of God is flowing through you. The power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is touching your life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but let me have your attention here for just a minute. You know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I know that God gave you the power of the Holy Spirit because he said he would. I know the way of the Lord. This is the way God is. He gave you the power of the Holy Spirit. When I first prayed in tongues, prayed for speaking in tongues, it took me three and a half years to speak in tongues. But that's because I was a Baptist. And I had been taught that it was of the devil and I was afraid and I just had a lot of stuff that was clogging me up. But you know what? I got my questions answered. I put it into a book. And I'd like to give every person here one of those books. It's free of charge just to answer your questions. And I promise you, if you'll read this book, I don't think anybody ever had more trouble speaking in tongues than I did. And yet now I can speak in tongues with the best of them. So if you will read this book, I believe it'll help you. And we've had thousands and thousands of people speak in tongues after reading this book. So I'd like to give every one of you a book. We have, is Robert right here in the center aisle? He's got his Bible up. And if you would go with him for just a moment, he will give you this book. Also, they have people that will answer your questions. If any of you uh, want prayer for anything, there's just people that will help you. So follow Robert right It'll only take a minute or two, and we want to give you this book and help you. God bless you. You're welcome. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hi, brother. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't this great? Man, we had a lot of people come forward tonight. the front. These are our prayer ministers. These are people that are either Bible
Bible college students or graduates or their partners that have been through a training with Ashley here and with Robert and Carly, and they uh, know how to pray a prayer of faith. And the reason I'm doing this, many people think I'm the only one that can pray, but you know what? It's just not so. And uh, I can't deal with every person. I'm just one person and I can only do so much. But this way we can, we can lay hands on every person in here who desires to receive healing. And again, I want to deflect your attention away from me. It's not me, it's God. He uses people, but these people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they are well able to pray with you. We see more miracles happen in my meetings through these prayer ministers than through me. We see miracles happen. We see blind eyes open, deaf ears open every single time. And so I want to encourage you that if you have had your faith quickened tonight, and if you're ready to receive, if you have a need in your physical body, I'd like to invite you to come and let one of our prayer ministers lay hands on you and pray with you. And we're going to believe God for miracles. We've got people standing at the aisles and they're here to direct you towards a prayer minister so that you won't all just get on one side. If you'd cooperate with these people, it would help us. But if you need prayer, I want you to come forward right now and let someone just agree with you and lay hands on you and pray for you. The rest of you, I'm going to dismiss you in just a second, but remember that we have CDs and DVDs of tonight's message already duplicated out there. You can pick them up. Also, we have all of our materials, and we'll be back in the morning at 10 a.m. and then 7 p.m. And also, on Saturday, we've got a 10 a.m. and a 6 p.m. service. It's one hour earlier on Saturday evening, so remember that. If you need prayer, get out and come and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. The rest of you, you're free to go if you desire to. I do stay around and pray, and we often call out things through the gifts of the Spirit and see a lot of miracles happen. You're welcome to stay and pray with us, but you're free to go if you need to go. Thanks for coming. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you for every one of these. We know that you love every single person. And that regardless of what's wrong with their body, their finances, their emotions, whatever it is, I know that you already made the provision and that you gave us power and authority. Father, I pray for every prayer minister right now that they just use the authority, the power, the faith that you have given us and we take authority over these things. Satan, we command you to loose them and to let them go in the name of Jesus. We command sickness and disease to be gone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord's showing me that there's people here that you have been, some of you that prayed and asked forgiveness for being bitter towards God or angry towards God. The Lord is just saying to you that this has set you free. There's been something holding you back and you didn't even know what it was. But the Lord says that you have been delivered from an offense tonight. Mark chapter 4 says that people take offense and the word of God ceases to work in their life. 
and God has just set you free. The Lord is speaking to some of you tonight that you have been set free. Your life is going to be different. You're going to start seeing things work that weren't working in the past. Intellectually, you had some of the right knowledge, but that offense was keeping the Word of God from working. And this is just good news. The Lord is saying that you need to expect everything to change. Everything is going to change from this point on. Father, I speak that and I thank you that people receive that word and it sets them free. That we are free indeed in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Somebody here has got a problem in your chest. It's uh, you were hit with something. I don't know, it could have been a car wreck or something, but something hit you here in the chest and you had problems from something. It could be like, you know, a steering wheel of a car. I don't know what that is, but God is saying that somebody here had something hit them in the chest and because of it, you got problems right here. Who's that? If that's you, I want you to identify yourself. I know we've got the right meeting. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Let me see. Because God is uh, setting a specific person free from somebody that was hit right here in the chest. Is that you? Were you hit with something in your chest? Long time ago. Do you still have any problems? Well, stand up. That's you. Isn't this good? Father, right now, for this man, whatever the problems are... In the name of Jesus, I release that word and the power of this word. And I believe that you are healing him completely. That there is no problem anymore. That he won't have to deal with any of these problems. Father, thank you for a miracle just taking place in his body right now. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Brother, I believe you're healed. Hallelujah. You know, I was in a meeting where I was um, uh, calling out something similar that somebody was hit right here in the center of their chest with something and that God was healing them and nobody responded. And I just kept after it, kept after it. And finally, a woman stood up and says, when I was six years old, she was like in her 30s or 40s. When I was six years old, I was kicked by a horse. And she said it caused a problem in her rib cage and uh, she never grew the way that she was supposed to. And she says, but I, you know, it's been 30 or something years ago and I've just gotten used to it. And she said, it doesn't really bother me. I can't breathe. I can't do some things. And I said, that's you. And we prayed with her and the next day she came back and she was able to breathe and start doing things she had never done in her life. Amen. So, uh, It doesn't have to be necessarily a life and death type of thing, but I tell you, God wants you well. Thank you, Jesus. One time I called out that God was healing somebody of bags under their eyes. And this woman came up and she said, I just, I knew that God loved me and I really didn't have any major deal, but I just wanted God to call something out through you just to show me how much he loved me. And so on the way to the meeting, she was praying and she says, God, what could I ask for? 
And she says, the only thing I really have problems with are these big bags under my eyes. Says, if if you are calling me into the ministry, would you have that man call out that I've got bags under my eyes and pray for me? And anyway, I prayed with her. She got healed. And that woman's been in the ministry for over 30 years now, changing people's lives. Amen. <laughs> so nothing is insignificant with God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just agree and we receive it. Boy, there's a bunch of people here that have back pain that God is healing of back pain right now. If you've got back pain, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can tell the difference between all the other people that are standing. If you've had back pain, stand and raise your hand so I can see who's receiving this healing. Thank you, Jesus. Father, right now, I thank you that whatever has caused this back pain, somebody here has had surgery on your back and it only made things worse. Here's the healing power of God touching you right now. All of this pain leaves now in Jesus' name. Whatever the source of that pain is, whatever the source of this discomfort, somebody here has got uh, curvature of the spine, scoliosis. Here's the healing power of God. You're straightening up right now. I command all that pain to be gone. There's some people standing that you only have pain when you lay down at night and you get pain. You can't stay asleep very long. Here's the healing power of God. Tonight you're going to go to bed and sleep like a baby. Amen. You are not going to be waking up. Father, we release these people from pain, from whatever these problems with the back are. In the name of Jesus, Satan, you loose them and let them go, and I release the healing power of God. Pain, you be gone off of them right now. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Just receive that healing right now. Who in here had pain before we prayed, and you've already seen the pain leave? Here's a lady right here. Here's another man back there. Anybody else? Pain's already gone. Right now. Move around. Do something you didn't feel like doing. You know, faith without works is dead. If you didn't feel like bending over, bend over. Begin to start doing something. Resist that right now. Praise God. Anybody else that your pain's already gone? Thank you, Jesus. Man, you guys need to receive this. That was the healing power of God. And you know what? Even if you still have pain in your body, here's another one back here at the back. Even if you have pain in your body, sometimes it takes a period of time, but I believe you're healed. You need to go to speaking that you're healed and acting like you're healed and resist this. Thank you, Father. Father, we just agree and we receive this healing power now manifesting in the lives of people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord's ministering healing to people that are having a problem swallowing. I don't know what's wrong with that. Maybe you got a growth. Who knows what it is? But if you've got a problem swallowing for whatever reason, here's the healing power of God, I believe, flowing towards you right now. If that's you, if you're the one that has this problem swallowing, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Here's a lady right here. Is this you? Anybody else? Thank you, Father. Here's some in the back. Father, right now, for all of these, I just release this anointing. Whatever this problem is, in the name of Jesus, we command it to leave, command growth to be gone. 
anything that's wrong that keeps us from swallowing, any problems in the neck, Father, I release the healing power of God and speak healing over them now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. And we believe that right this moment, the power of God is touching them and that they are recovering in Jesus' mighty name. Praise the Lord. Amen. I believe that's happening for you. I believe you're healed. Roger, you're healed in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we agree and we receive it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, the Lord's ministering to hearts right now. If you've had a heart problem, I want you to stand, raise your hand so I can see you're receiving this prayer. Well, you're getting everything. You need an overhaul. If you're if you have I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God flowing towards you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak health to these hearts. Whatever damage has been done to them, I just release the anointing of God and thank you that these hearts are recovering in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. I command any pain associated with this to be gone, any irregular heartbeats to be gone. Father, I thank you that you are helping these hearts to beat normally. Somebody here was dealing with a hole in your heart, a leak in your heart. Here's the healing power of God. That's a word of knowledge just to quicken your faith. God's healing that hole right now. Close up in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. A leaky valve in the name of Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this healing. And Father, I thank you that all of these hearts are healed. I speak this out in Jesus' name. And people's hearts are healed right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Father. So Father, every sickness and every disease, whether I call it out or not, I thank you that the healing power of God is present to heal. That you are touching people's lives. That people are receiving their healings right now. And Father, we thank you for it. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Man, I believe lots of people are receiving their healing right now. The power of God is setting people free. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Jesus. Praise God for all of these prayer ministers. This is awesome. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive these things now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Praise God. I'm going to let you go. We'll be back in the morning at 10 o'clock. Amen. So come back ready to receive. God bless you.